giving is like exhaling and you can't exhale forever or you can try, but it's not going to work very well for you Right. without having to inhale. So as caregivers and human services and parents and people who give any kind of care, we're very used to kind of doing a continuous exhale as our work. We're always giving. Mm. And if we don't stop and breathe in, draw that breath into our heart, into our body, then we can't continuously exhale. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 152, The Undefinable Spirit, Kimberly Van Ryn, The Compassionate Heart. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Well, welcome to another edition of the SIL podcast and our special department of the Undefinable Spirit, where we interview very special individuals in the community, locally and at large. And today, our special guest is Kimberly Van Ryn. Now, Kimberly is a child and youth worker in the Orangeville area who spent her early career in foster and adoption care work. Born and raised just north of Orangeville, she spent her younger years in Alliston, has lived in Calgary, Alberta, and went through a significant struggle with mental health and addictions, the challenges of which I hope she can share with us today. But she found her way to yoga, and this changed her life forever. It gave her a lot of healing and clarity about her life's path and tools to manage her big emotions, the highs and the lows. After a year of serious personal practice, Kimberly became a yoga teacher and began to work once again in human services, this time with adults who have developmental disabilities, and she fell in love with the work and the connection. Eventually, after a lot of contemplation, Kimberly decided to open Branching Out Support Services in December of 2019. BOSS serves people with neurodiversities and developmental differences and has a focus on social and recreational supports for adults as well as complex care. She has since returned to school for a university degree, something she had always aspired to but never had the courage to go after. She now holds her BA in Human Services from Athabasca University as one of her proudest accomplishments, with even bigger dreams to pursue a Master's in Community Development. Recently, Kimberly got the awesome news that she was accepted into the Spell to Communicate program at the University of Buffalo to learn a completely amazing and beautiful communication system for people who are non-speaking. She's going to deep dive into brain language and communication science for the rest of this year and finish as a spell to communicate practitioner. Finally, Kimberly and her partner James care for and support a 13-year-old with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as secondary caregivers, no doubt another huge challenge in a life filled with challenges. After all that, Kimberly Van Ryn, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the SIL podcast. Thanks, Harry. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. So my first question for you is, where does this impulse of yours to engage in compassionate acts of support for the less fortunate in the community come from? Where does it come from? I think that it comes from two places. First, I was raised in a family that is very committed to compassionate acts in the community. I was raised in a family that is very religious. And the church was a big part of my upbringing. And one of the really positive and long-lasting things I got from the church 
is to give back. And I saw that as an enduring example from my parents. My mom has been a lifelong volunteer and has mothered more than just her own biological children. And she's a shining example. So I think part of it comes through my heritage, my grandmother, both of my grandmothers, actually. Many, many people in my family work in human services, even cousins and aunties and uncles. Those sorts of people work in some capacity with other people. And we were raised to give back and to take that kind of work pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it also comes from, for some people, they're born with it. And I'm one of those people that Mm -hmm. it gives me great joy to be able to give back and to connect with other human beings and create relationships that make a difference. So Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes that drive for certain people comes innately. And so I'm not myself if I'm not doing that in some capacity. It doesn't mean that I don't need breaks and I don't need time off and time to self-nurture, but it is fulfilling to me in a very deep and intrinsic way because it's who I am. So Mm -hmm. those are probably two places it comes from. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned your parents and before we actually began the podcast Mm -hmm. officially, you talked about your parents and grandparents and coming from Europe and uh, the war, etc. Do you think that had anything to do with what they passed on to you in the way of these characteristics? I think somewhat. I think my grandparents, even though they did not talk about it very much, were highly impacted by their level of poverty when they were living in Holland. They were both in the Netherlands. And during the war, we do know that was a hungry, cold, and devastating time for my grandparents, although they never shared any particulars with us. I don't think they wanted to burden us with that. Mm -hmm. But I do Mm -hmm. think they understood the difference between living in poverty. And then when they came to Canada, they worked really hard and they experienced what some immigrants experienced when they came here, which was they became more financially affluent after a certain amount of time. They had good jobs. They were able to raise their families with a little bit of money in their pockets. And because of the influence of the church, they believed with that extra money and resources that they had, that it was most important to give it back. Mm -hmm. But I do think coming from Europe after the war would have impacted that attitude a lot because they understood what it was like to live in poverty. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you spend a lot of your time now helping others. There was a point, and you're open and honest enough to admit this, Mm. where addiction issues plagued your earlier life. Was there a breaking point? And uh, how did you overcome these challenges and eventually turn your life around? Yeah, there was a breaking point. I was in a relationship that fell apart. So that was certainly a signal. I was in a very serious relationship. I was married earlier. And then when that marriage fell apart, I think that was a big signal that there was a lot of things that were wrong. I also burnt out from the work that I was doing. So as Harry said at the beginning, I was working in foster and adoption care, which is a challenging line of work. You hear a lot of traumatizing details about kids' lives. So there was a place that I completely burnt out from the work that I was doing. Like I couldn't do it anymore. That was one of the reasons I was in Calgary for a while and how that kind of all happened. So I don't know if there was a single thing that created a breaking point, but there certainly were a lot of things that very quickly became evident to me that things were not right and that I was using substances to deal with the secondary trauma that I was managing from hearing stories from kids and families that were 
really devastating. Mm -hmm. I was traumatized from a serious relationship that fell apart. And so I think that all of those things compounding together situationally created a breaking point, a tipping point, at least, I think would maybe be fair. Mm. And how did you find your way out of that jungle? Mm. Love. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was just very, very much the love of my family. Yeah. Understanding that I had people that weren't going to give up on me regardless of some of the very, very poor behavior that I demonstrated, mostly mm. to myself during that time. That there were a group of people who stayed committed to me when I was not able to stay committed to myself. Mm. And I think that that process is never a quick one. Like love is never an instant solution for anything. It usually takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, a lot of steadfastness and endurance from the people who are loving on you to bring, I was going to say for them to bring you around, but that's never the way it works. You always bring yourself around. But in right. order for me to understand how deep their love was so that I could bring myself around. Hmm. And it sounds to me like you're on the other end of what you're doing now in terms hmm. of your work with community-centered organizations in the community, in society. Why are these kinds of organizations, and there are more and more all the time, why are they so needed these days? We, I am, I think more people than just me, so I will say we, the collective we, are very desperate for connection. Um, mm -hmm. Cell phones and computers are excellent tools, but they are very solitary. We need to be in each other's company and energy and be able to sense who we are as human beings. Our brains need that. We know that from brain science. Yeah. Um, that is just not quite the same over the screen. I mean, phoning your mom is an awesome thing to do and it offers a great sense of connection. For me, texting isn't quite the same. Being in a room is the best. Mm -hmm. So I think that these organizations are here and popping up and needed because we need to be together so that we can share our experiences. Mm -hmm. And speaking of community work and volunteer work, you do a considerable amount of volunteer work and you're involved in several community support organizations. How did the uh, pandemic affect the way these services were actually rolled out? It affected them heavily. I think that when the pandemic first hit, and time feels like a bit of a time warp in, in pandemic time. So mm -hmm. I, when I think back to this, it actually feels like a long time ago. We had to switch. So with branching out support services and with the yoga studio I work at, which I would also consider an extremely wonderful community organization that I'm involved with, we had to switch a lot of our services to online. In the yoga world, that worked fairly well. I think actually sometimes people are really happy to do their practice from home and still be able to be led by someone they know, and that was wonderful. Mm. With branching out support services, when we flipped a lot of our services online, the results were very, very mixed because we work with a lot of people who have communication disorders and differences, and it does not translate through the screen for us to be able to communicate with some of them because a lot of communication with people who have communication disorders and differences, it's more than just verbal. Um, we work with people who are non-speaking, although they are very communicative, but how do you communicate with someone over a computer screen when speech is not their mode of communication? Would you say that there are some positive things that have occurred as this kind of situation, hopefully, 
peters out and we're into another phase, were there some advantages that were created by the situation with the pandemic? Yes. I think that we had some extra time. And this was really important for us as a new business. We had only been in business for four months before the pandemic hit. Mm. So it gave us some time to slow down and look at what we were actually doing because we were going very, very quickly to make sure that people had service and we were doing the exciting things and fun things and starting a new business is a massive piece of work. So yeah. we really had to slow down mm-hmm. and think about how we communicate with people, why we're communicating with people, what we really want people to get. And our staff team, the biggest benefit, we learned how to be more in the moment because part of running a program is planning out. And we all know this, any of us who have businesses, we're strategic planning all the time. We're succession planning. We're planning out three months, six months, a year in advance. We're setting goals and objectives. We're evaluating. All of that was taken off the table in one day. Mm-hmm. We no right. longer could do any of that. Right. All we could do was say, who are we serving today? And how on earth are we going to get that done? And then we figured out how to get it done. We cried some tears. <laughs> and then <laughs> the next day we said, okay, we're not planning for three weeks from now. We're not even planning a week from now. Who are we serving today? And how are we going to get that done? That is so counterintuitive to the way small business people and programmers and developers and creative idea, visionary people work, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a huge lesson for us. We learned how to do today and actually be here in today with the people we have to serve today. And it took us a long time to learn that lesson. We fought it forever. (laughs) We kept trying to plan and then our plans would just like fall apart completely (laughs) because, you know, a rule would change or a lockdown would come or whatever would happen, right? So that was a huge positive for us. As far as our teams and the people we connect with, yeah, we learned a lot. And did the kinds of services in the community that were needed because of the pandemic shift what you offered? Or did you stay with the services you were offering? Was there a change in that level? We stayed pretty true to what we would offer. We modified when we saw some of our individuals experiencing more mental health Mm -hmm. challenges over developmental challenges. Yeah. So in that way, sometimes instead of encouraging someone to come on the screen, if that was just not working for them, we had some special exceptions with people who we were allowed to see in person. And we worked very closely with public health in order to be able to do this. Which kind of segues into what I'm about to ask you, which is mm-hmm. what kind of challenges did you face in trying to set up and activate these support groups? We had to learn a lot about technology. Like when we were doing support groups and even recreational activities. So we did a lot of recreational activities online too, because we understand how important just having fun and seeing your friends is for mental health. So we would do art classes online and fitness classes, yoga classes, dance classes, and sometimes not even classes. Sometimes we would just have, we're going to put on music and dance in our own living rooms and whoever wants to come on and join, let's do it. Mm -hmm. We had to learn a lot about technology because we're very used to working in person. Most people in our business are social workers and developmental services workers and child youth workers. So we don't have a lot of experience and background in technology. So that was the biggest challenge, I think, for moving some of our groups and recreational activities online. We had to teach ourselves. And then we had to teach a group of caregivers who were assisting their individuals to come online. And then we had to teach 
people who communicate very, very differently how to be on Zoom and how to learn how to use mute and turn their cameras on and off if that's what they needed to do. So it was a very multi-step learning process for everyone across the organization. It wasn't just us having to figure it out. It was us having to figure it out and then teach people how to connect. But what about even the financial side? Were there challenges in getting that set up and getting financial support for these organizations? Yeah, I can only speak for branching out on that when we did receive some financial support from the provincial government, but it was not in easy process. Uh, I think everyone had a really, really different experience with it. So I cannot speak for any of those programs as a whole. But for us, Mm -hmm. um, I had to do a lot of advocating. And that meant working with government officials. At one point in time, I was in conversations with five different governmental departments so that our business could get some financial relief because we have leases on two spaces in downtown Orangeville. So when they changed the rules around the rent relief, we were getting rent relief and then we lost it. Mm, And because we were a new business, there were a lot of barriers because we didn't have financials from 2019 to compare to our shutdown in 2020. And so we didn't qualify at the beginning. We didn't qualify for anything. And we thought we were going to lose the business, my Mm. team and I. But through a lot of advocating and really hard work, like there was a time during the pandemic when I actually was not doing any frontline program development or support because my entire job as executive director was to find us some money to keep our business open. Hmm. We found it, hmm. but it was a challenge and not something that I knew how to do. So that was really challenging because the learning curve there was deep. <laughs> Let me ask you, Kim, on a personal level, you've talked about yoga as being a really important find in your life that really helped you sort things out in many ways. Can you talk a bit about how yoga has done that for you and also In terms of individuals, who else have you taken inspiration from through your life? For yoga, when I first started doing yoga, I don't think I completely understood why it was so impactful to me. Hmm. When I learned more about, I'm very interested in brain science. (laughs) By no means a scholar in in the brain at all. Um, But when I understood later the impact that yoga has on a human brain, I understood why it was so helpful to me. The movement, and we would call it an embodied therapy. So it is not a therapy that requires you to have verbal communication. You move all the energy and all the emotions and all the feelings through your body in this physical and tied to the breath. So when I found that, I didn't know why it was working for me, but I was like, this is the first time I've felt relief from some of the anxiety and worry and old leftover trauma from whatever in my life that all of a sudden I started to say, okay, like I think I can be strong and I can be strong without substances and I can be strong without medication. I can be strong really without other people. I still choose to be strong with people because that's important. But I found a self-healing modality that I could do at any time, any place, that worked. I was in. I, okay, I'm this, if this is what it is, I am in. <laughs> and I think my whole life through, for when I was a very small girl, women have had a very strong impact on who I am. So my grandmothers, my mother, my sisters, I was raised in a very female-centric home. And then I moved on 
I did a lot of learning theology in the church. I went to Bible college for a year. Uh I did. Then I started reading Christian philosophers and and theologians, and that led me to read other philosophies. Kind of a perfect segue to the next question, Mm -hmm. because you mentioned all these women. So we're talking Mm -hmm. major estrogen component here. I've always associated estrogen with a lot of uh, love, caring, and the word compassion comes to mind, which is part of the question I'm going to ask you. There's a lot of talk during the time of COVID about compassion for those who have suffered and died at its hands, for the families who have loved ones, for those who have suffered mental health issues due to the lockdowns and so on. What do you think it means to be compassionate? And do you think it always involves personal sacrifice? I think compassion is perhaps what we would call a double-edged sword because it requires us to step aside from ourselves and our own selfish needs to be able to be completely open to another person without judging whether or not what they need is right or wrong. Mm. So we need to be able to step aside and not be selfish when we are compassionate. Absolutely. But we also need to be able to have a deep understanding in self-compassion before we can pass that compassion on. So you have to be selfish in that you need to feed yourself and feed yourself self-compassion. And then you need to be selfless so that you can step aside from your ego and let that compassion run out. It's a practice. Mm. So there are these practices. There's the practice of compassion. You're practicing yoga and you've gone through some serious challenges in your life, trials and tribulations. What would you say is the biggest life lesson you've acquired through all of these things? Breathe into your heart. Sorry, breathe or read? Breathe. Breathe into your heart. I think that statement for me, breathe into your heart, and this is something that's kind of new for me, but has come through very clearly for me recently, that when you or when I, anyone takes time to use their breath and inhale, right, bring in what you need into your own heart, then you can exhale out from your own heart Hmm. into the world. Hmm. So I think that is the greatest lesson because I think the reason I struggled so hard is because I didn't know how to breathe into myself. Like I didn't know how to bring it, nurture and nourish what I need. I thought I used to think my whole purpose in the world was to just give, 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 give. Mm. And I know that that doesn't work. It's lovely for the people I'm giving to if I'm not too burnt out. And then it becomes unlovely <laughs> if I start yep. to get burnt out. And then, yep. then and who are you helping, right? Then you're just kind of like this tight, angry person. And I've experienced that too. So <laughs> this is what I'm learning is that as much as you can, take those big inhales into your heart so that you are able to breathe out balance. That's a beautiful expression. I guess I'd like to just, if I could, ask you to say a bit more about it, because a lot of people, if they hear breathe into your heart, they're thinking, what does that mean? I mean, what does that actually mean? So can you just say a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think that The heart for me is important because it feels like the seat of compassion for me. Other people may feel their compassion come from really different places. But for me, that's where it is. So the heart is important. It's also, it's like our life organ. And if we don't breathe physically, our life organ, our heart doesn't work and we're not here anymore. So I think Mm -hmm. there's some physical and metaphorical applications around the heart. 
the way I learned about it recently is giving is like exhaling and you can't exhale forever or you can try, but it's not going to work very well for you Right. without having to inhale. So as caregivers and human services and parents and people who give any kind of care, we're very used to kind of doing a continuous exhale as our work. We're always giving. Mm. And if we don't stop and breathe in, draw that breath into our heart, into our body, then we can't continuously exhale. I think that's a pretty important point because I know that many of us, if not all of us at some point, raised sort of altruistic approach. Mm-hmm. And we're not really taught often that it's pretty hard to give anything when you don't have enough within yourself to give. Yeah. And I think that there are people, and I would completely include myself in this, who right. are trying to perfect the art of being so altruistic that we don't have to nourish ourselves. Like we're practicing that really hard because that's how we were raised, right? And that's how I was raised, for mm-hmm. sure. And, and not in a damaging way. I don't think my family raised me in that way for it to become a damaging thing. So I think that there are people out there who are perfecting or trying to perfect this constant busyness, give, 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 never stop, dawn till dusk, restless, sleep, screens in your face, like it never stops, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to get good at that, and I'm trying to get really bad at that. You don't want to uh, self-destruct on the way to helping someone. And I did at one point, right? right? I totally did. Or I was using things to numb the fact that I was Mm -hmm. in so much pain from self-destructing that that wasn't working for me either. So this idea of breathing into my heart, again, like just like yoga, I finally found something that works. I'm going to stick with that. Is there a story that you can share from your experience in the community that has actually inspired you in some way? Yeah, I have a a group of stories. I can't tell a story about one individual because that's just way too hard. We we have a group of adults who come to our day service. These are adults who have a diagnosis of some sort of disability, maybe autism spectrum disorder, Down syndrome. I'm just giving some examples so people can kind of understand the diagnosis that I'm speaking about. We have some people in our program who have acquired brain injury. We also have some people who have brain injury due to really increased seizure activity from a genetic disorder. So it's these kinds of diagnoses. And this group of adults is fairly young. They're in between 21 and 30-ish, and there is not another group of people in my life that I draw more inspiration from than them, because these people, because of the disabilities and differences and neurodiversity, so brain differences that they were born with, have made their lives challenging. They don't communicate the same way as I do. They have many medical issues that need to be managed. They have pain in their bodies because their bodies sometimes don't work quite the same as mine. Mm -hmm. They have been bullied. They have been outcast. They have been marginalized. They have been told you can't. They have been pushed to the side for their whole life in some way or another, even though they've also received a lot of extra special care. But things are challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. And this group of people show up every day at our day program when we have day program every day. And they come in and they are excited and happy and bubbly and 
ready to go, asking questions and communicating with us in different ways and coming up to us and giving us hugs. And many of these people, partly because their communication is different, are incredibly intuitive. And on more than one occasion, I have, one of them has come up to me and spontaneously hugged me and said, everything's going to be okay, Kim. Even though I never told them I was in a bad mood or yep. the business was hurting in some way or that a parent had yelled at me or whatever it was, right? Uh -huh. uh, yelled at my partner. Who knows? Could have been my fault. And this intuitive sense that they have about me and this deep, unconditional understanding. They don't judge ever, 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 ever. Mm. And they're the last people in the world who should be open and understanding of other humans because they've been put down and bullied by other humans. And they just keep coming back into every day, into every piece of their life with enthusiasm and goodwill. And it's, it's amazing. How could you not walk into that environment or have a friend like that? And I do consider those people to be my friends. Right. That doesn't just bless your life like every single time I see them or experience them. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Wow. So if you could share one thing or say to the general public one thing they should keep in mind in terms of the neurodiverse community. What would you like them to know or to keep in mind about that community? Be curious. I think curiosity is a good word because it brings a level of fun with it. And I think that's okay with other human beings that, that yeah. we're curious about each other. It opens us up to be more open-minded, to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And asking questions is totally okay. Um, mm -hmm. It's better to ask the question than to kind of be afraid and worried and be bold, be courageous, be with us, right? And I, I would say that on behalf of all people who have differences. Be curious and uh, be who you are. Come as you are. Be with us. Yeah, and fun makes everything easier, doesn't it? Of course it does. Come to a dance party. We're having one tonight at 7 o'clock. It'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> on the computer. On the computer. Well, I, have a, I haven't done the splits for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Warm up. Right. I don't want to go there. Um, uh, a lot of curiosity about this Spell to Communicate program that you're engaged in. Can you just say a bit about what you're learning in that program? Yeah, I haven't quite started yet. I've only done an introductory session, but I work with two individuals who already use this technique. Yeah. So I have some hands-on experience. I'm going to do my deep dive in June where I have a full weekend and then some evening seminars before we start doing some more of our weekly work together. So letter boarding. The practitioner holds what looks like a large stencil, like an 8 by 12 stencil of the letters of the alphabet, A through Z. Yeah. And the participant who is communicating either uses their finger or an instrument as an extension of their arm. Sometimes that's a little bit easier for process. And they spell out their thought letter by letter. Oh. And so as a practitioner, I hold the stencil or sometimes it's a laminated sheet. It depends on people's sensory needs. That can be shifted slightly. I also hold the stencil in my left hand because I'm right-handed and I sit to the right of the person. So there's a lot of theory and practice behind this. And then I scribe the letters as the person points them out mm. on the stencil. And I know a gentleman who writes stories and poems using this technique. Oh, wow. Huh. So it can be 
time intensive because we know this is very applicable for people who are on the autism spectrum, although they do use it with other individuals who are Mm non-speaking. It can be time intensive because often people who are on the autism spectrum will have some tendencies like clicking their fingers or other, we would call them stims, which means stimulation. So they're just using their body to stimulate their mind a little bit. Uh So sometimes the process can be time consuming. But you get into a rhythm with a person so that once I get to know a person using the letter board, we kind of start to develop our own almost like conversationalized style. That's how you move through the process. Hmm. I don't know all the brain science behind it. We'll have to do a second podcast after I've done my training so that I can explain this to you better. But there is something actually about the sensory motor cortex. So your motor skills that slow the process down using the letter board, that makes it much more accessible for some people. Really good. I think I could and use that this, kind of thing. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because, you know, Kimberly, you know, when I write poetry, mm. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to slow my mind down, my brain down right. so that the thoughts can percolate, but organically grow in mm. the soil of the inspiration and not just blurt out in cliches, right? I'm actually holding up uh, letter cards right now for Harry as he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> So applicable. (laughs) I know. It's beautiful. And this technique has been used with people who were locked inside their brains and their bodies because of autism mostly for decades. And these are people who would, we do see this sometimes, will hurt themselves because they're so frustrated Uh that nobody knows what they want because they can't communicate. Like, I want to go to the park instead of going to the driving range. Like, I don't know. And they learn this technique. You should see the changes in people's lives. Like, it's incredible. They communicate for the first time in their lives, sometimes in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Right, They've never right. communicated before hmm. with words, with language. It's always been gestures and behaviors and grabbing and pushing to get what they need. But they've not had a system to communicate. So could you imagine how life-changing that would be? Well, to me, it's slightly life-changing just to hear about it because... It's funny how we always attribute all these things to so-called people with uh, challenges, Mm. (laughs) which to me is uh, the human race at one point or another. (laughs) It's not limited to people with autism. Oftentimes, if we could adopt these same kind of principles, even if not exactly the same, to normal day-to-day communications and understanding of one another, there's probably a lot more there. And we would be interested to hear back from you mm-hmm. if you go through this in greater depth, because absolutely it could be a, a topic of discussion that might be of interest to a lot of people. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell listeners uh, if there's any events, websites, any information that is pertinent to yourself, to the community, to the work that you do, that you want to give out. This is your chance to do that. Sure. So, For Branching Out, you can find us at www.branchingoutsupportservices.ca. And we have lots of events, and we'll have many more things after COVID Mm. that all members of our community are invited to. You don't have to have any sort of special label on you to join us for a fitness class, a dance class. We highly encourage all people to join us. You might make some new friends, and that would be awesome. Hmm. Or you can just learn about what we're doing and send us lots of good, positive vibes. The other place I would encourage you to visit is kalayogainc.ca. K-A-L-A, 
Y-O-G-A-I-N-C dot C-A. I teach yoga at that studio two times a week. So if anybody would want to come practice yoga with me, learn more about breathing through the heart, stretch, all the classes are online right now, so they're really accessible. And on Sundays, I teach at six o'clock. And I believe right now that class is free. And when we go back to in-studio, that class is only $5 a class. So we try and keep that class really accessible for people so that financial issues can't stand in the way of you coming to a yoga class once a week because yoga is for everyone. So yeah, if anyone wants to come practice yoga with me and breathe and stretch and be, that's where you can find me on Tuesday and Sunday night. Got it. This has been wonderful, Kim. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to say to the general public just about what you're doing or their support for your kinds of services and that sort of thing? How can people in the community support without necessarily volunteering all their time or whatever? Yeah, I think one of the, the greatest things that people can do to support is that if they see our group or another group like ours, because there are other day services, Community Living Dufferin has lots of services for people with differences in Orangeville and Dufferin County as well. You see our group out and about in Orangeville. Stop and say hello. A wave from across the street. Send a smile our way. It's always good. Our people recognize when they are accepted and welcomed in the community. And that's something that's so easy to do. We'll try to breathe you into our hearts. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank <you. laughs> and thank you for this because it's not only been interesting, it's been educational and I've learned a few things from you. And I was serious when I said, when you get more into what you were describing before, get back in touch with us. Yeah. Thank you very much, That'd Kim. Be it's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Take care. Yeah. Ciao. Bye. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.